Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, folks, welcome to the program. This is the Other People Podcast. I'm Brad Listy here in Los Angeles, California. It is good to be with you. I hope you are doing okay wherever you happen to be. Don't forget to subscribe to this program wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube, follow the show on social media, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter, and support the program over at patreon.com slash other pod. Help keep it going. Today, I've got a very special episode for you, uh, an extravaganza, a special Pulitzer Prize episode featuring authors Ernan Diaz and Ingrid Rojas Contreras, both of whom were guests of mine on this show back in 2022, and both of whom have gone on to receive extraordinary recognition for their respective books. Ernan Diaz is now a Pulitzer Prize winner in fiction for his best-selling novel, Trust. And Ingrid Rojas Contreras is both a National Book Award finalist and a Pulitzer Prize finalist for her memoir, The Man Who Could Move Clouds. And best of all, both Ernan and Ingrid were kind enough to join me separately to talk about all of this, all that has happened, what it was like to receive this kind of recognition and to go on this kind of ride with a book. I talked to them about where they were when they found out. I try to get all the details. So first, I'm going to be sharing a conversation that I had earlier this week with Ernan Diaz. Once again, his best-selling novel, Trust, won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction for 2023, along with Demon Copperhead, the novel by Barbara Kingsolver. So it was sort of a strange year for the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction with two winners. The other finalist was a novel called The Immortal King Rao by Vauhini Vara. In his novel Trust, Ernan Diaz tells the story of the life and marriage 
of Wall Street tycoon Benjamin Rask and his wife Helen. The Pulitzer Prize Committee calls Trust, quote, a riveting novel set in a bygone era that explores family, wealth, and ambition through linked narratives rendered in different literary styles, a complex examination of love and power in a country where capitalism is king. I should add that it is also a wonderful and very nuanced exploration of gender. I spoke with Ernan Diaz about trust back in episode 775, which aired on June 1st, 2022. Here's an outtake from that conversation. I've learned a few things that were unexpected. The first thing, which I've talked about elsewhere, but it it bears repeating, I think, is that even though capital has this mystical place in the American imagination, it's it's very hard to imagine ourselves as a people and uh, really to define the American dream without making a reference to capital and money and wealth. So although money does occupy this transcendental place in our history and in our consciousness, the discovery that I made once I dove into this somewhat seriously was that this obsession hasn't been reflected in literature that much. All right, that was Ernan Diaz, author of the novel Trust, a New York Times bestseller. We were in conversation back in June of 2022, episode 775, which you can listen to in full wherever you get your podcasts. It's right there in the feed, episode 775. Ernan Diaz, as I have mentioned, is right now, along with Barbara Kingsolver, the winner of the 2023 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction for his novel Trust. And I had the chance to talk with Ernan earlier this week to catch up with him and to congratulate him and to ask him about his experiences over the past year. So let's get to that. Here I am in conversation with Pulitzer Prize winner Ernan Diaz. So I was I was on book tour for the paperback edition that had been released like that day the day before no the week before sorry and i was in greenville south carolina a place i had never been to before beautiful leafy uh city and uh i was hungry i had been on airplanes all day in plural and uh i thought well i should get chicken and waffles because i'm in south carolina and there was and there was a place called, I think, Nosedive, the Nosedive, or something like that, uh, next next to the hotel. So I got chicken, chicken and waffles. And uh, I learned about this uh, announcement, uh, you know, as I was, uh, you know, pouring maple syrup over, over, over my, my waffles. And I wish I could say I, I took it with, you know, aloofness, dignity, and, you know, um, that I was cool about it, but I, I wasn't. I totally, <laughs> I totally lost my shit, and I had to, I had to leave the restaurant, you know, with my stuff all there, and I sat down on the sidewalk, trying to take this moment in. Uh, tears m- might have been shed, and these three tiny, lovely Southern ladies 
come walking up to me and I was wearing a baseball hat, which because I'm bald makes me look somewhat <laughs> younger. Right. And, and, you know, and they were like, Oh, um, sweetheart, are you, are you okay? Is everything fine? And I just looked up from, from the curb a, a bit like in a Chaplin movie or something and, you know, and told them <laughs> what had happened and, uh, and you told them you, wait, you told them you won the Pulitzer. It's, it's a, it's a little blurry, but, Yes, I must have because next thing that happened is we're all hugging the four of us, <laughs> and, and and those were and my phone was exploding throughout this whole thing, and uh, and those those were the the first people to to give me a hug and and congratulate me. They asked what the book was and 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 so on and so forth, and then. You know, um, and then of course uh, my wife, editor, agent, and, uh, and 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 closest friends. But but that that was that was the the that was the that was the scene. Did you finish your waffles? I somehow that that didn't that was no longer a priority. <laughs> yeah, you just the waffles no. were done. No, I I, I did finish uh, uh, the IPA I was having like okay. in one big gulp. That Good. I did. There yes. you go. There you go. Yes. Well, I mean, I think that's a lovely story. And I feel like it's interesting when you talk about being in, uh, you know, you're outside of New York or you're outside of a cultural capital. The Pulitzer Prize among the various literary prizes, I feel like has probably the biggest name recognition. It's the kind of prize that even though it's literary specific, the average person has some reference for. So if you tell people you want a Pulitzer, no matter where you are, they're probably going to get excited for you, right? Whereas if you were like, I won a Whiting Award, you know, or like whatever it is, like yeah. I don't know if they would, I don't know if they would have uh, as much connection to it. Uh, no, it's, uh, that is true. And I have to say that um, uh, insanely, now that this has happened to me, which still defies belief and, and feels very disorienting, I like, yeah, I don't know the people in my building emailing me, which they, you know, stuff like that, or right, or or, or kids from my daughter's school, you know, congratulating me, which, uh, yeah, which I guess speaks to to how uh, recognizable this is and, and the place that it that it has in our, like in our in our culture, even if you're not like a book person. Yeah, and and I I I don't think I was aware of the extent that was true until I experienced it. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal and a huge honor. And I remember talking on this program with Andrew Sean Greer, mm -hmm. a past Pulitzer winner. And I always ask kind of similar questions about like, where were you? <laughs> How, and then like, you know, what happens when you win a Pulitzer and all this kind of stuff. And, and he was telling me that one of the nice things about winning it uh, well, first of all, you might find this information useful if you haven't received it already, is that I want to say he told me he talked with Michael Shaben, a past Pulitzer winner, and I could be getting this wrong, but I believe Shaben told him, like, look, there's no downside. Like, there's no downside to winning the Pulitzer. <laughs> so that's a good thing to know. I mean, right? It's like, and it's a good thing to remember because I think it can get, like you say, a little disorienting and surreal. But when you take a breath and you think about it, you're like, there's no downside. You won the Pulitzer Prize. It's wonderful. Well, and then well, one of the beautiful things that happens is that some of the previous winners, like 
reach out, you know, with with a with a note or something. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, that's what Andrew. And, that's what Andrew told me. That was the second part of my question. He said that when you win, other Pulitzer winners reach out to you and sort of congratulate you and give yeah. you know give you some what what do they give you some uh, advice and counsel maybe? <laughs> yeah, totally. And and Andy was actually one of one of the one of the first ones to to reach out. He was he was very sweet. He's like, you can. You, you can call me just if you want to squeal, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and he shared, I think it's, I think it's like in seven parts, the things that, you know, the, the, the advice and among them is the, is Michael Chabin's, you know, uh, maxim of there is no downside. And uh, uh, some, some other ones include, you know, you get to, you get to shine on light, you get a, you get to shine a light on, on people that, you know, are important to you, whose work you respect, who are, uh, perhaps underappreciated you get to write what you like you know it was it was a beautiful very generous big-hearted kind of i think it was six seven point uh, uh manifesto that was really lovely and it's been you know the, I, I have to say in in all honesty that that the best thing about just being published period which you know i i do want to emphasize that i that i worked for a long time without anyone wanting to even get near to my shit you know that that is very real like for a really 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 long time and and you keep doing it just because you love writing and you love books and you love language and you love sentences that you think are beautiful or moving or or intellectually stimulating and you want more of that you know and and writing toward any kind of award is like an insane plan. Like that's a bad business plan or a bad uh, uh, way to kind of uh, 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 design your 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 life or, or set goals to yourself. So it's really not about uh, the awards or the although they're lovely to 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 receive. The, the best thing about, as I was saying, getting published and, and, and being read to whatever extent is that you make new friends. You, you have new interlocutors. Your world dilates in, in a beautiful way. You get to meet new people. You get, sometimes you get to meet some of your heroes that, that, you've, that you've been reading uh, voraciously for, for, for many years. And, and I think that that is the greatest for me. That has been the greatest reward uh, to 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 enlarge my my conversations and, and to have and to and, and to be able to to make new friends. Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, it's so much of the writing work is obviously solitary, and it can be very easy in this day and age, especially I think when so much communication is remote and digital to be an isolate <laughs> i mean that's exactly. that's kind of a necessity but it's also maybe a pitfall of the profession and i think when your work is out there and in conversation with people and especially if it's finding a readership and you're getting feedback and going on tour and doing events and stuff like that then it does start to become more social and that's good for people in general that's good for people maybe it's especially good for writers I, I agree. I agree. I mean, and and also, you know, at all times I have, I'm, I'm fully aware that all of this will go away and you're just left alone with your neuroses as your sole companions. Uh, and uh, 
and that's fine too. You know, that's 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 totally fine too. As as you said, you know, this ebb and flow of, of people coming in and out of your life at, at the right, hopefully at the right times, is is a is a lovely it's a lovely thing. It's a it's a lovely thing to to inhabit solitude and 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 to be alone, left alone with you know one's books and 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 writing. I mean, that's 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 beautiful. That's why we're in this. Um, I get, I uh, bet you'll get to a point where you're hungry for that. I mean, you may already be, but I think you have to sort yeah. of celebrate this. And then at a certain point, you're going to be like. I wish it would just quiet down, go back to my study and just, you know, face the blank page in uh, silence yeah. again. But I want to talk to you. in Brooklyn, so I don't have a study. Oh, but, you know. So maybe one day. But I think, yeah. I want to seem to recall the last time we talked, there was an, a beautiful bookish room that looked like study-ish, but. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's like a Zoom fiction. It's my, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's the only Zoomable room uh, wall in my in my living room. Oh, so. I, I like this term, Zoom fiction, because I was like, this is the. I was thinking it's. I was going to call it the magic of set design. I was like, picturing you in this like beautiful, like you know, oh, curated oh, study. I shouldn't have burst this bubble for you. <laughs> hey, everybody! If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature. I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, listen, I want to ask you uh, before I let you go a couple of things. First yeah. of all, I think that when you win an award like this and when a book gets a ride like Trust has gotten, it must cause you on some level to consider why. <laughs> like, do you have a sense having, like, you know, obviously the winning the Pulitzer? the book doing well, being out on tour, being in dialogue with readers. Do you have a sense of why this book has connected so well or has resonated with readers? It's a tricky question and I don't I I don't know how to answer it because that that implies or would involve some certain way of quantitative sociological analysis and it's something that both I don't know anything about and that I've, I've never been interested in, you know, that kind of um, sort of 
reading metrics and try to figure out what the common denominator. But have you heard things from people? Like have people consistently said things about the book that have maybe like shed light? Well, I think, I think there, there, there might be a few things that are, all of them are after the fact, like none of this was designed toward any kind of effect. Like uh, I don't think anyone is able to do that, you know, and, and how boring just to write that way. Right. But as you say, just listening to, to people, I think I think there is obviously sort of the the, the critique of, of privilege and and how power and wealth are able to to disfigure and warp reality and or impose an alternative reality to onto ours and and and, and make make us believe that this this fiction is indeed the truth. I think I think that in a way has resonated with with a lot of with a lot of people i think i think also that the two main characters who are helen in uh forgive me mildred or helen helen is her fictional incarnation um mildred and ida i think i think those two those two characters who they are and what store what place they 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 occupy in the story and in history, uh, has has also I think uh, is this too presumptuous to say touched uh, uh, some people. Uh, so so and um, so so I think these these two or three things like the the issue of privilege, the 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 issue of uh, you know um, truth and fiction and history and and the and the, and, the, and the place these these two women have in the story and the ways in which they are portrayed. I think, I think, I don't know, perhaps those are some of the salient points that, that come up. Yeah, I think like, yeah. And I, the only thing I would add that's coming to mind for me, it's been a minute since I read the novel, but I remember feeling as I was reading it, how nice it was to read such a smart, absorbing fiction about wealth and how it basically illustrates how wealth works. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of mystery around that. You know, it's like we, we see it, we have awareness of it, we can all kind of define it. We know what a, what a super wealthy person is, you know, mm. nominally speaking, but how does that actually function on a human level? And that is what your book, among other things, does a nice job of illuminating. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I was, I was, I was hoping for something very much along the lines you, you just described. So this, this makes me very happy. So last question, uh, you know, we've talked about finding out this lovely story at the, what was it called? The nosedive? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where you find out. So. And then, you know, we're sort of you know, still here in the aftermath of you um, receiving news of winning the award and the paperback for trust is out. And I would assume finding lots of readers now uh, in particular after this, uh, this honor. And so I'm wondering about what happens to an author after something like this happens, particularly when it sync, syncs up with the paperback release? I mean, do you suddenly have a flurry of events? There's obviously media requests, um, yeah. like, you know, like we have happening right here. Like, what, what is life like right now in this particular period for you? Well, I, you know, you know, that, that event that I, that, that, that uh, scene that I just described to you in South Carolina, I was sort of three weeks into a, a very long tour for the, I mean, the, the paperback tour was two weeks, but um, I've also been traveling for, to, to sort of 
um, uh, support foreign editions of, of, of the book. So I came back home last Friday after being away for seven and a half weeks. And so I, I haven't really seen anybody at all, my, including my family, you know, I, uh, since, and since the announcement happened and I haven't really like celebrated with friends or I've just, I've really been relentlessly on the road and, uh, and I kind of will be for, for, for a while. And I, I have decided that, you know, I'm always reading, I'm always taking notes, I'm always writing things, but, but to sit down and properly write, it's going to, it's going to be a month or two because I'm, I'm just really, it's, it's also hard to sit down and, and, exercise your imagination after hours of press which which i've been doing so yeah. um so um you know this is also par- this is also part of part of the job i've discovered i mean it's a, it's a new part for me yeah but it but it is it is it is it is it is part of part of the job so i'm, I'm focused on that for the next whatever you know um six eight weeks and then uh back back to to my old sort of little little cave. Okay, and it feels. I mean, it feels like what I'm thinking is like, wow, it kind of feels mathematical, like the way that this works out. Like you win a big award like this, it's so exciting. But like the downside is that it does pull you away from writing. But like you say, it's part of the job to have to go out and you know make the rounds for your book and go on tour and do media and stuff like that to support it. And what's going to happen, I think, and I've kind of heard this before from writers, is that you do get to a point if a book gets a, it catches a wave like this that you get to the end of it and you're so ready to get back to the writing. So that's that's probably as it should be, right? You'll you'll do these six to eight weeks, and at the end of it, you're going to be like, please, <laughs> I'm yeah. so ready to get back to the writing. And I remember, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the last time we spoke, I asked you at the end about new projects that's always kind of where i try to wrap up to see if i can get any hints as to what might be in store are you like down downstream on a new project are you just beginning to think about what might be next you know i i i always say that for me uh writing begins with with reading which is totally true and i i know that something is going on when i when i've created like a full shelf of stuff toward a toward a weird toward something that is shapeless but i know like by looking at that bookshelf i I can see kind of what it is about that bookshelf has been now in existence for several months and i've been adding to it and uh there is a whole world in in my mind there is there are protagonists and there is there is a general arc and there are scenes but um uh yeah so it's um it's it's going it's um i'm i'm excited for it um uh, the but that i didn't that clause that i opened but never never concluded was but i haven't started i write in a very linear fashion like i do a lot of note take this is like my process that i don't recommend for anyone else but i do a lot of note taking always by hand like piles of notebooks it could be quotations it could be my own thoughts it could be a full scene it could be scattered thoughts all toward one book right um uh, like now i'm in 
not, I'm working on this. So all these notes that I'm referring to are not just random notes. They're notes toward this particular book. And, and I've been doing that for a while now. And, but I haven't, which is what will happen in six weeks or so, is that I'll sit down and actually write the things. I, I don't write, I don't do drafts. I write sentence by sentence. So, so when I start that, that's like, I've started and, and, and there is no, who knows, maybe this book will be different, but usually it's, you know, I sit down and I start at the beginning and I end at the end normally. And, and it's and one, and it's one draft. You're, when you're done, you're done. It's just, it's just one draft. Cause I also edit ceaselessly through like my work day begins with edits. Yep. You know, I, I, I'm a big, big editor. It's also sort of my day job. So, and I'm, I love grammar and, and so I, I look at that all the time. So by the time I'm done, it's pretty much done. And then, you know, I do a, I do a many editorial passes, but, but it's not that I start like a new draft or anything. So, so that's the next step. Like I have, I have tons of material and ideas and scenes and people in my head. And now the writing will, will, will commence. Okay. So last question this little bookshelf that is project specific that you described yeah. where you sort of build like a, a little, it's like the DNA for your novel or whatever you work in. Yeah. Can you, would you be willing to tell me like, what's one book that's on that shelf right now? No, <laughs> no, no, I can't. You can't. no, no, <laughs> it's, no, no, no. It's an obvious I'm question. I mean, I'm an, I'm, 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 I'm an atheist, but I'm also superstitious when it comes to this. <laughs> yeah. You're not alone. I trust me. I try to, I try to pry into, uh, authors, you know, next projects a lot and I will get stonewalled, which I always respect. Sometimes it's like, you know no, what? No, you, you, you got to try. That's your job. That's man. my job. That's my job. But I will yeah. leave it there. Uh, I'm happy to get the chance to kind of circle back with you and to have the opportunity to congratulate you. I was oh. such a fan of this book when I, when I read it, I have to say, that I'm not surprised that this book is being honored in the way that it is. Uh, I mean, you're always a little surprised because like we say, it's mathematically improbable for any book, but yeah. the fact that it happened for you and for this uh, novel is fitting. And it's, uh, it's really exciting when I love when pri I feel like a prize gets it right. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's a book that really deserved it. And that's the way I think a lot of readers uh, feel about this so congratulations to you oh brad that that was that was so lovely and it's good to uh as i said i you know i've been i've been on my own for for a long while it's good to celebrate now with with a friend yeah <laughs> and, to, and to see and to see your face again uh and, and 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 hear your voice and it's been it's been lovely uh to uh, chat with you thank you for having me again okay that was ernan diaz pulitzer prize winning author of the novel trust Available now in trade paperback wherever books are sold. Ernan Diaz's other books include the novel In the Distance, published in 2017 by Coffee House Press. It was a Pulitzer Prize finalist and a finalist for the Penn Faulkner Award. Ernan Diaz is also the author of a work of nonfiction called Borges, Between History and Eternity. You can find out more at his official website, ernandiaz.net. So next up, I'm going to be in conversation with Ingrid Rojas Contreras, author of the memoir, 
The Man Who Could Move Clouds, which published back in July of 2022 on Doubleday. This is a memoir that is both a National Book Award finalist and a Pulitzer Prize finalist in the memoir and autobiography category. The other finalist in the category was Chloe Cooper Jones for her memoir entitled Easy Beauty. And the award itself went to Hua Xu for his memoir, Stay True. So The Man Who Could Move Clouds is a sweeping intergenerational memoir that delves into Ingrid's past, her family history, her indigenous roots, and in particular, the life and work of her maternal grandfather, Nono, who was a renowned curandero in Colombia, which is to say a medicine man, a community healer. He was known to be able to talk to the dead, tell the future, treat the sick, and move the clouds. The Pulitzer Prize Committee calls the man who could move clouds, quote, a lyrical personal account that reclaims a family legacy of indigenous practices, beliefs, and narratives to challenge Western notions of history and memory. I spoke with Ingrid Rojas Contreras back in episode 785. It aired on August 10th, 2022. And here is an outtake from that conversation. Hard thing because I, I really felt that I had to write the book and she's and she said if you write this book I will never talk to you again so I just really didn't know what to do about that well clearly you wrote the book I wrote the book I she was like upset at me for a, a long time and just uh, wouldn't answer my phone calls I called my my dad or I was just like calling their house and then finally my dad picked up and he, the, the, the first thing that he said to me was like, what have you done? All right. So that was from my conversation with Ingrid Rojas Contreras back in August of 2022, episode 785. The two of us in conversation about the man who could move clouds. You can listen to the full episode wherever you get your podcasts, episode 785. I should also mention that Ingrid was my guest in episode 562 which aired on January 30th, 2019. The Man Who Could Move Clouds is available right now in hardcover ebook and audiobook editions, and it will be released in trade paperback next month on July 11th, 2023. Ingrid Rojas Contreras was born in Bogota, Colombia. Her debut novel, Fruit of the Drunken Tree, was the silver medal winner in first fiction from the California Book Awards. It was also a New York Times editor's choice. I had the chance to speak with Ingrid earlier this week about the man who could move clouds to catch up with her, to hear about the remarkable recognition that this memoir has received. So let's get to it. This is the conversation that I just had a couple of days ago with Ingrid Rojas. Contreras. I was on the couch and I was having a conversation with my mother and she was telling me the story about how as she was a little girl she had this best friend and they would sneak into 
other people's funerals for fun. So she was telling me the story. And <laughs> as, as one does, as one does. So, you know. Um, yes. Jamil Jan Kachai, who was watching the live stream for the Pulitzer Prizes, just sent me a text that said, congratulations on being a Pulitzer Prize finalist. And I was like, wait, what's happening? And I just, I think I texted him back something like 20 question marks. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's congratulations. Like it was just announced. And he sent me a, a link so that I could, you know, see it. And it's, yeah, so that was, he was the first person to tell me. And then pretty soon after that, uh, you know, pretty wild how your just phone just starts vibrating and there's like, you know, people are finding out. Yeah, so that's where I was. I was just on my couch. <laughs> I, I find it, having read the book and having talked to you a couple of times and knowing a bit about your family history, I mean, via the book, but also via our conversations, I find it poetic and awesome that you were on the phone with your mom when you found out. Yeah, I, I, I felt that that was really amazing. And also that we were doing you know, like a lot of the, the same, same type of thing that I was, we had been doing throughout, you know, living out the memoir, just me listening to her stories. And yeah, and that feeling like there is no end to the to the stories that she has about her life. So it really kind of felt like I was just doing exactly what I spend a lot of time doing in the in the book. And it, and it felt really fitting and wonderful. It also feels like an extension of your grandfather, the curandero, right? I mean, because I, I want to say like your mother, and it's been a while since I read the book, so forgive me if I am misremembering details, but in the family lineage, your mother had some of the same skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so not everybody in the family maybe has as much of that, but she did, and then maybe you to a bit of a lesser extent, but somewhere in there, and you're kind of writing about all of this. So, I, you know, it's such a unique story and it has bits of magic in it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what it's kind of about. And so I'm wondering how you conceive of this moment where you spend all this time writing this book and telling this story about your grandfather uh, as the man who could move clouds, right? Mm -hmm. This curandero. And maybe for people listening, a curandero is a medicine man. Like, how do we define this? Yeah. Um, it's a, yeah, it's kind of a, a Latino medicine man. And all, you know, different countries in South America have curanderos. And they're people who have inherited or, you know, come from an indigenous lineage. We ourselves are mixed lineage. And, you know, they, my, my grandfather would do things like he would have a lot of plant knowledge and, you know, people would come to him with different sorts of ailments and he would either prepare um, tinctures for them. So it's just, um, but also, you know, he would help, you know, if people felt that they, they had been cursed, he would help them with that. Or if people felt that they were being haunted by a ghost or the, their their house was haunted by a ghost. He would do that kind of work too. Yeah, and so my my mother also did a lot of the same things. And I would say like they had different strategies for it. And I, you know, like when I was writing the the memoir, it felt like such a personal story. And it felt like 
I hadn't seen that story too much in nonfiction. So I, I didn't know how the world was going to react to it. And I had no idea what, uh, what, it, what, you know, what that story sounded like to someone who had never heard of curanderos before um, and who, you know, maybe that this is their first time reading about it. And, you know, since, you know, the book has been out, I've just been so, you know, just pleasantly surprised by how well received the book has has been. And just, yeah, every, everyone has been like really wonderful on tour. And I did get to hear a lot of stories from just audience members who've had curanderos in the family. And yeah, that sort of thing just makes it feel like you know, you write your own personal story and then that story finds community with people who share that story and you kind of like slowly kind of widen that and make it, um, make it something. Okay. So a couple things I want to ask about. First of all, this moment with your mother, when you find out that you were nominated for the Pulitzer and were a fine, like one of three finalists, right? There's three finalists. Mm -hmm. So pretty rare air. It just feels kind of like, a poetic perfect moment that she would be the person you were talking to when you found out i'm wondering how you conceive of that moment considering the sort of magical elements of the story that you were telling uh your grandfather's gifts your mother's gifts like it almost i mean for me like i'm kind of magical thinking here maybe but it feels a little bit faded it feels perfect do you think of it that way that's so wonderful do you know what i think of is that my when I told my family that I wanted to tell this story, one of the things that they said was, you know, like, you know, A, please don't tell this story. B, why would anyone want to hear this story? And just kind of like being more comfortable with secrecy, I think, in the family. And so there, I did encounter like a lot of, you know, resistance in the family as I was deciding to, to write the book. And now that it's been out, I feel like it's possibly you know healed a lot of things around secrecy for for my family and my mother did dream like when I told her that I wanted to write the book that my grandfather kind of gave his permission and that and he's I want to I want to say I want to say you told me that I remember that there was like some issue around permission so he blessed it he blessed it and he said that it was going to be really good for the family and for the generations in the family to come. And yeah, and you know, I, I love that. And I never kind of imagined that, you know, becoming a Pulitzer Prize finalist is where this was all going to end up. Um, and and a National Book Award finalist, And a National right? Book Award finalist. I just never imagined, you know, that outcome. And yeah, it's I'd say it still feels a little surreal I don't know that it feels faded, but I feel very, very blessed and very honored. Well, I think that when you talk about the reception that the book has gotten and the way that it has resonated with readers, readers who might have a similar uh, background and have curanderos in their family, but also people like me mm-hmm. <laughs> who have no such thing, but who read the book and enjoyed it and found it um, meaningful. Like what occurs to me is that ultimately this is a family story and anybody who is alive on some level can relate to having a family. So I think that's like, that has to be heartening for you 
to think about the ways in which a book that seems so specific and so personal and so like niche, you know, if that's a way to put it, could have such resonance, yeah. uh, you know, across like ethnic lines and cultural lines and national lines. You know what I'm saying? Like this book resonates, I think, ultimately because it's about you and your mom and your grandfather and your dad and your family, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I keep, you know, one of the things that I have uh, heard is that it's a story about love and family love. And it didn't occur to me that that's what I was writing while I was doing it. It felt very hard when I was writing it. And it felt like, you know, writing through my sister being very sick and all of us being very worried about her and, you know, like my own like mental health challenges that I've had and how that fits with my mother, who's, who's a healer and has always kind of wanted to heal everyone, but especially us. I, it didn't feel at the time like it was a story about love, but it, to me, it kind of felt like I was writing about survival. But in the end, you know, like getting to the end of the of the book and just writing through that whole storyline, I do recognize that it is about, you know, you the, the sort of kind of unconditional love and support that you can get from family. And, you know, for us, like specifically, like my, my mother and what that has been like. Yeah, in retrospect, I can see those, how that, you know, storyline just feels so powerful and, and why that would be so touching to read about. Well, and I also think that people are hungry for a sense of magic in their lives and for some sort of affirmation that, or some sort of confirmation that there is more than meets the eye mm -hmm. to this reality. And that there, are, if there are people who are tapped into that, or there are people who have specialized knowledge in ways that are supernatural, I think that's always, a, I think that has universal appeal. Yeah. I don't think you have to be uh, an indigenous person from Colombia to feel that. I think that's just a human thing. We are desperate for there to be deeper meaning in our lives. And that is something to which this book attests. Yeah. I was also writing through my own doubt of, of my mother and, and my grandfather while I was writing. And I think that for me, it's just that there's that moment where my sister is, you know, pregnant and then loses her her baby uh and my mother says like you haven't lost the baby like it's the baby is still there and my sister kind of got a whatever that's called like a the a sonogram sonogram like... yes sonogram okay, thank yeah. you yeah and the doctors couldn't find the heartbeat and so the the doctors were like the baby is gone and she was going to have a you know the the procedure where they get the remains out and my mother kept being kept saying like please don't do that like the the baby's actually alive and to all of us in the family do you know what i mean like anyone i think in that situation you would say you know she's obviously there's evidence that there is no baby and my mother has kind of like lost it at this point and also in a very kind of harmful way saying that there is a baby when doctors are saying that there isn't and, you know, and then it just turned out that they they did another sonogram and then found the heartbeat. And so it just kind of turns out that she was correct about this wild thing. And so, I, you know, like the book is full of moments like that where it's just, you know, like whatever you, you 
believe there's just like these moments that are so hard to grasp and just, you know, <laughs> just really kind of make you question like, well, <laughs> how does she know that? And what is happening actually? Right. Yeah. I just got the chills by hearing <laughs> that. That's crazy. But it's a, it's a wonderful book on a lot of, on a lot of levels. And it is told the story that you're telling is told with so much care and attention to detail it's a book that when I read it, I can, and then I think in talking to you and you were sort of describing how difficult it was to write, I think I can relate to that. I mean, I think any writer can relate to that. I think in particular when you're telling a really personal story, but it's also a story that I think in a way you're having to do the work of a translator as you're writing. And I don't mean necessarily like a, like English to Spanish or English to whatever indigenous dialect, n nothing like that. I mean like translating culturally because this is such a specific thing and it's something that I think a lot of readers say in North America might not have a frame of reference for. Mm -hmm. So maybe that, did that, you feel like I'm on target there? Like yeah. did that add a layer of difficulty to the, to the telling? Yeah, it did. I think the layer of difficulty for me was I didn't want to, there's always this danger of a book becoming you know, just kind of the stress falling on the explanation for people who are not familiar. And so you you are, you know, I was balancing these two audiences of people who would be familiar with curandero traditions and people who are not familiar. And so the 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 struggle was always how do I tell the story in a way that doesn't feel redundant to people who already know the culture? And also make it sound, uh, you know, make it accessible enough for someone who's just approaching this first time that they've heard of a curandero. You know, all of the stories, you know, would sound like something that they've never heard before. And I think that the the balance that I was trying to, to strike is, well, it, then it has to be kind of, everything has to tie back to the story that I'm telling and to the, and maybe to these like family relationships and then kind of giving you information as we go and trying to think of information that would be also new to even to someone who would who were already know about curandero traditions and i think all of that just came through you know research and just looking at i you know assuming like everyone has like a or like the the people that would be familiar with the culture has a base knowledge of curanderos and then what would be information that's new to them and so thinking about, you know, well, what are what are different curandero traditions and how did they come to be and what happened historically for curandero traditions to emerge? Are they different than indigenous traditions? You know, so so all of that just became became the, the sort of place that I could that I could explore when I when I was writing it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I uh, I just had a conversation recently with an author who's writing about Hawaii, uh, Jasmine Iolani Hakes, and she was like trying to work a similar balancing act where you're writing it for certain for a certain place, like you're writing to a certain place and to a certain people in a way, and you want to bring everybody else along, but you don't want to be writing the book for them does that make sense yeah like, yeah completely yeah, yeah. um because you don't want to it, it is that balance of you don't want any one audience to feel outside of the story or to feel like they can't access it 
and yeah, definitely, you know, I don't want to be redundant to 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 Latina readers who who would know everything already about it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, there was a photo that you posted, I believe, on social, like as you were finding out the news. By this point, I think your dad had come into the picture. Yeah. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm recalling this correctly. Yeah. But it's one of these great, like great, like candid selfies where you're, I think, like what, Zooming with them or something we like are, that? Like, yeah. Fa- we were on FaceTime. And so I hung up with my mom because I needed to check out this, whatever was happening. <laughs> I was just, I just said... You know, I'll I have to check out something like I'll call you back in a minute. And she was like, well, OK, but the story was really was really good. <laughs> How like she was crashing people's funerals. <laughs> yeah, she was like, this is a really good story and you're missing out. And I'll be like and I was like, I'll, you know, call you. I'll just call you in a little bit. Just give me a minute. This is important. And she was like, well, this story was important, too. So um, <laughs> so I got off the phone, you know, checked out the information and I called them back and my dad I think had joined had joined her on the couch by that time and I just you know told them and it you know like I always have the this experience of sharing news with them and then having to explain what it means because they've you know have they you know grew up in Colombia a lot of the things that that are big here they just have no point of reference for so I always have to kind of explain what is the New York Times. You know, I have to kind of do that sort of. So it, it always feels like any any news that I have, it's I have to then explain. And then they're like, oh, that's great. So they're never kind of truly, they never have the reaction that I want them to have. But the moment that I said Pulitzer, they both, <laughs> they just both like, you know, started screaming and kind of like cheering and so they knew the word Pulitzer, you know, so that was just like an amazing, <laughs> right. I've never had that, you know, with them before. That immediate just, you know, recognition. I know what you're talking about. I'm super excited. Just like immediately freaking out about it. Yeah, it was really sweet. And the photo's great. <laughs> you know, as I recall, this look of like joy and like surprise and I don't know, just whatever apparent would whatever face they would make when their kid is like by the way i was a pulitzer finalist yeah. <laughs> it was great and also like an incredible achievement uh i think you even said this like first generation american author writing an, a memoir about curanderos and i mean amazing yeah. i'm so thrilled for you like Thank just you. an extraordinary run that you've been on since this book was published and i'm glad that I had the chance to read it and talk to you about it when it came out. And I'm glad to get to catch up with you after all this. I imagine it's got to be a little bit head spinning. This happens sort of like with the National Book Award finalists. Like this book has had like a long life, if I could put it that way, in terms of like its publicity cycle or in terms of the way that it's been recognized. And it has, there's so much excitement, right? It's like that kind of like that high that you get on when something 
goes well. And then eventually things sort of, the dust settles a little bit and you have to get back to work as a writer. Yeah. Are you there yet? Are you there yet? Or is, are you still like on the wave? <laughs> I am. I am there. I am there. I'm getting there. Um, I'm working on a new, hopefully a new book. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that I, that I always think about is, you know, like my parents both grew up very poor and just how much it took for me to, to even write a book is amazing. You know, or just all the small miracles that had to happen, you know, including me learning English and me being good at languages and the small miracle of finding a way to stay in the U.S. and finding a way to study in the U.S. and just all of that. Like, how do you, you know, and my parents have just been so supportive through everything. And they are really, the, you know, the, the parents who just give up everything so that their kids will have a better life than they did and I really just feel like I just owe so much to them and I the other thing that I keep thinking about with the book is just how my grandfather you know people would look down on him for being a curandero and he would kind of face all sorts of kind of you know just like social exclusion and and those sorts of things and to to think that I could then make art out of that and that it would be received in this way to me that's so beautiful and so amazing and it just makes me really happy so it's a victory it's a victory yeah it is a victory <laughs> <laughs> you you know like and a hard won victory you yeah. know like not like it's not like oh you know i won the lottery i won this is like this required years of hard work and a willingness to sort of face down difficult stuff you know, all that stuff, all the healing work that this book did and all the difficult emotional terrain that you're having to confront. Yeah. And then at the end of it all, to have it go this way, it's wonderful to see. Yeah. And it's thank you. Inspire. It's inspiring. Thank so you. before I before I let you go, this next book you just alluded to very cryptically. Yeah. We don't know if it's a I have to believe it's a work of fiction just because I know writers, like after they've written a big long memoir, it's almost like always like back to fiction yes. is that right yeah you are okay. correct you are correct i am still thinking about curanderos what i'm thinking is that there's a matrilineal line of curanderas because i think that that's the the story that i wanted the memoir to be but it can't be because it's not real so i always wanted to write the story that was about women becoming curanderas and having a whole lineage of them and my idea for now is that they're the women are kind of struck by lightning and that's how they, that's how they become um, curanderas. So it's like I, when I start a book, I have this document where I just write a line that feels true. And then I press enter like 20 times. And then I write another line that feels true and then press enter 20 times. And I just do this sort of, I think of it as accumulation of truth in a document. And at some point when it feels like I have enough, I delete all of the spaces and then start to, to think more linearly about what, what I'm talking about or what, what I'm telling. So I'm still in the discovery phase of, of the story and it's um, very early, but it feels really good to be writing fiction after having to do memoir and, you know, you know, having to do interviews and transcripts and thinking about, you know, fact checking and all of that. So it feels really good. <laughs> well, I will be eagerly awaiting this next book whenever it 
you know, uh, arrives in the world. I wish you well on it. And again, just congratulations. I'm really happy for you. You are so deserving. Uh, it's a wonderful book and I wish you well. Thank you so much. Um, and it means so much to me that we got to chat and, you know, for my first book and then for this one and then, you know, touch base after it's your, your, I love your show. It's so wonderful. Well, thank you. And I feel like I've been along for the ride. I'm like, where are we going to go next? (laughs) (laughs) So good luck to you, Ingrid. Thanks for taking the time to talk. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, everybody, there we go. That was Ingrid Rojas Contreras. Her memoir is called The Man Who Could Move Clouds, a 2023 Pulitzer Prize finalist that is available wherever books are sold, and it will be out in trade paperback on July 11th, 2023. You can find Ingrid on the internet at ingridrojascontreras.com. You can also follow her on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, I believe Blue Sky, if you're one of the Blue Sky people. My thanks to Ingrid for joining me once again, and my thanks to Ernan Diaz, fiction winner for the novel Trust, out there now in trade paperback. The Other People podcast is offered freely. It's a listener-supported show. The entire archive is there. Listen to it. And if you like this program, you can support it and support the work that I do over at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen. Also, subscribe to the Other People YouTube channel. If you have a couple of minutes, rate the show wherever you listen. Write a little review if that's an option. It helps new listeners find the show. If you would like an Other People t-shirt or sweatshirt, just go to the show's official website, otherppl.com. Search for the uh, t-shirt. Just scroll down. You'll see it. And if you would like to sign up for my once-a-week email newsletter, you can do that at bradlisty.com or otherppl.com. Finally, I have a novel out. My latest novel is called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. It is available in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook, so if you would like to read my novel, it's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. Coming up on Sunday, I'm going to be in conversation with Alejandra Oliva. She has a new book out called River Mouth. A Chronicle of Language, Faith, and Migration. It's out there now from Astra House. Had an excellent conversation with Alejandra Oliva about her remarkable book, so stay tuned.